Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. Challenge is good. Challenge makes you better. Challenge assures that when you get challenged by others, you're going to be on point and you're going to survive scrutiny. And you do that, you couple that with ethics that, that are strong in our, our field and industry, you're, you're running things correctly. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. That clip was from Paula Gold Williams, the CEO for CPS Energy in San Antonio. Every guest is special to us, obviously. We've really been blessed with some tremendous accountants sharing their time with us. This episode is particularly special in that we haven't yet had a CEO on the program. And since we interview everyday heroes from the accounting world, Paula is no different. She came up through the accounting ranks as well and now serves as CEO of this utility company. We didn't get into a discussion of this in the interview, but to give you a little perspective, CPS Energy's annual revenues are right around two and a half billion dollars. That's a billion with a B. Obviously quite a respectable size organization. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Paula shares some incredible insights about leadership, and it's all from a very practical standpoint. One more item before we get started. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to get notified of future episodes by email, simply text the word accounting to 44144. That's accounting to 44144, and we'll get you signed up. Here we go with Paula Gold Williams, a CPA and the CEO of CPS Energy. Well, good afternoon, Paula. Thank you so much for taking the time out to share your story with us. I I know your time is in very high demand these days. Well, look, thank you, Mark. I'm so happy to make some time and excited to participate in this experience. So I am ready to go. Wonderful. Well, it, it will be fun. I do really appreciate you sharing your time with us because this is going to be a first for our show. We've had a few CPA firm partners, of course, and we've had some CFOs on the show as well, but you're the first CEO that we've had on the program, and you came up through the accounting and finance ranks, so that's very special to us. I know your story is going to be very valuable to our audience because I know some accountants do truly aspire to hold the, the CEO position eventually at some point in their careers. I'm going to keep this introduction short, though, because I want to make sure we've got enough time to go through your story so that our audience gets an idea of sort of how you came to where you are today. Let's start at the beginning. What led you to decide to even think about accounting as a career in the first place? Well, actually, it came to me in high school. In reality, I hadn't thought about it at all. 
I did have some electives that I had the opportunity to select. And the year I was a senior, the school tried a program called bookkeeping. And uh, Mr. Ramirez, I remember him so dearly now because I realized how much one person could influence you and how important teachers are by how much it meant to me to have him come to our school and teach bookkeeping, the bookkeeping class, the basically the intro to accounting. And I took it and I think I did well. I don't think I had the top grades in the class because I was so unfamiliar with it, but I remember really appreciating the balance. You know, I know that the the logic, the theory, the flow of how information went from one statement to another. And as a as a young kid, I guess I hadn't really even thought about it. And I thought, hey, this could be a career. If nothing else, I could be a bookkeeper. And at the time, bookkeepers did quite well in my era. I did remember, though, I went to my father and I asked him, what did he think about that? And, and he I remember this fondly. He said, dear, I don't know if that's really going to be a great thing. He goes, you know, accounting from what I see can be so stressful. You have to balance to the penny and make things so accurate. He goes, I don't know if you want a career that stressful. And and I listened to my father and I go, you know, maybe not, father. And that said, I actually went and got a liberal arts degree. I took all types of things in literature and art appreciation and English. And I didn't declare in my first two years, but in the in my second year, I took my first accounting class again as an elective, and I just I just got that same feeling back about it was so helpful to understand how a business really was doing well or not doing well. You could look at a balance sheet and kind of measure health. Like, you know, you get into ratios a tiny bit, and I went and took the second accounting class, and I realized I really liked it. So I did go back to my father as a dutiful daughter and said, I think that I hear you, but I think I think this accounting thing might be the thing for me. And, you know, he said, okay. <laughs> so he didn't really put up a fight. I think the good thing was he, he made sure that I was sure. And so that's kind of where it all started. And I went and uh, I, I started at San Antonio College here in San Antonio, Texas. I got an associate's degree actually in fine arts. But I got a transfer over to St. Mary's University, a transfer scholarship, and specialized, uh, concentrated in accounting, and was fortunate to start out with a big accounting firm, big eight back then, here in San Antonio, Texas as well. And so my career launched there. I enjoyed everything about being an auditor. I was on the audit side. I really appreciated learning about a lot of different companies. My specialization was SEC accounting but I did a little bit of everything. I did some trusts and I did some televisions, newspaper, cable was probably my big one, but I've done banking and it was great. But I realized that that's a whole different story, but I realized I just wasn't going to be a partner in the firm. I, I just couldn't see it. So my career has progressed over time, never really assuming that I was going to be a CEO. I, I think it's amazing if if someone thinks that they, they know they want to do it. I think it's amazing if someone says, I think it could be something that I do. I, I didn't set out thinking I was going to be a CEO. I really started out thinking that I just needed to be just a lifelong learner. I needed to be curious. I needed to, to realize how accounting could be the, the vehicle to understanding a lot of different things. So I left public accounting and went to work for this company called Act 3 Theaters 
It is the theater arm of a gentleman who owned several in, in San Antonio theater operations. He continued to own the assets. And uh, Norman Lear actually owned the operational side of the business. I did that for about a year. I eventually found myself needing a job. I was out of a job unexpectedly, another story in my life. But I did find a job with one of my clients when I was an auditor. I, I moved over to Time Warner. So I was a regional controller for Time Warner. I actually did that for eight years. And that job was amazing as the controller because I got a chance to do all kinds of things in terms of I did some data conversion for the HR group. I did data conversions for the customer service group because I had to make sure that the integrity of the numbers translated from one system to another. And, and so they were really great teaching grounds for me. I uh, did that for eight years. And then all of a sudden, people were moving from mainframes to what they call client server systems. And I was very curious and I, and I wanted to do that. Time Warner really wasn't going to make that type of investment at the time. And so I looked for another new opportunity, and I moved to a company called Luby's, which is a restaurant chain in San Antonio, Texas. And I went there as the controller, and that was my entree into serving as the vice president of finance for a while. In transition, I also served kind of in a deputy CFO role for a while. I did that for about six years, and then the headquarters operations was getting ready to move to Houston. And I was on my way to Houston. Uh, Houston's a lovely, a lovely city, but I have my family. I have a, I've been married now for 32 years, and I, and I had uh, younger children. And it just so happened I got a phone call from CPS Energy. And that's been 13 years ago in October, uh, 13 years ago. And I got a chance to start over as a controller again. And so I've served multiple times. I've even stepped back in my career and anchored in in the organization in terms of being a controller. But I've done it so many times, and I really get the essence of it, that I was fortunate that I had a boss. His name was Rick Williamson. And he allowed me to do some other things that I wanted to do, which was more on the people development side, the getting into strategy. And so I was willing to do special projects. And before I knew it, I got recognized by the CEO and asked to become the vice president and chief administrative officer for the company. And the little story there is the CEO called me and asked me would I become that vice president, chief administrative officer. And I said, first, yes. And he said, great. And then I said, that's wonderful. If you could tell me what that really means, because we didn't have one at the time, <laughs> uh, that, would be, that would be awesome. But don't worry, I'm going to do whatever that is. So a little point, I always tell people, just say yes. Good things come from that. I did that for a while, and then my, my predecessor, Rick Williamson, retired after 37 years here, and I was asked to compete for the position, and I did, and I got to be CFO, but I got to be CFO probably in the worst possible time in recent history. It was at the onset of the financial crisis in 2008, oh. and so it was a very challenging time. Nothing really in basis that he told me was going to work it didn't work the way it was supposed to because the markets had all dislocated, but we survived. We have a we have a strong company and a strong team. Survived that. I served as CFO and I got a chance to become an executive vice president and I got a chance to take on a shared service oversight role. So I picked up IT and facilities and supply chain along with security and safety along with the financial roles. And eventually I stepped into an interim CEO role I had a boss, Doyle Benaby, who I really, really enjoyed working for. He was a 
successor to Milton Lee, but he decided that he was going to pursue some other opportunities. And the company really didn't have someone permanent at the time. I agreed to be an interim. Long story short, I think that that at first I wasn't sure if this was the right thing for me. I think the company thought about hiring an engineer instead of an accountant because that's what typically had had run the company for, yeah, at the time, uh, over 150 years. But as I was doing it, and I had done it for, in total, I did it for nine months. And I got to the point where the board unanimously accepted me and voted for me to be the CEO. So I just hit my one-year anniversary of being the permit CEO in July of this year, 2017. And so it's been a heck of a ride. Nothing like I envisioned but it's been so much more than I've envisioned because of the the interest, I think, ultimately in, in wanting to learn something and be kind of committed to, to keep progressing. Wow, I didn't realize it had been a year already. Time, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Time Me either. It flew by. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you don't mind, I've got a couple questions in there because a few things you said I, I know come up as, as themes. You mentioned early on that you didn't see being a partner in public accounting. Why was that at the time? Do you remember what your thoughts were? Oh, yes, I remember. It was not an indictment on the industry. I saw the value of it. But when I decided to become an accountant, I didn't know any. I come from very humble beginnings. And in fact, you know, my family, we didn't know architects, attorneys, accountants, engineers. It just wasn't in the realm of, of our everyday. And so when I, when I finally you know, got my degree and, and I was launched into it, I realized that, or this is the way I looked at the industry, that there were at the time two basic types of partners that, that I was exposed to. One was what I would call a marketing partner, a person who had a certain level of connections and really was good at selling and, you know, creating new account opportunities for the company, which is vital. You've always got to go in there and take care of your customers, but you've got to, got to be able to get new customers. The other type of partner was what, what I would call a theory partner, someone that was always helpful to the firm in terms of complex accounting and financial issues and able to really keep the integrity and the backbone of, of the firm and the client that, you know, we were auditing in great space that I envisioned myself and felt most comfortable in terms of being a theory partner. And I never saw myself really as a salesperson. And I probably would still say I'm not a salesperson. I can, I can talk to clients and support clients and work with them, but I just don't have that sales gene. But the, the issue was that there were a lot more need for marketing partners than there were for theory partners. Theory partners really kind of hung in there for a long time and they didn't have a lot of openings. And so as I thought about it and thought about, you know, my challenges, I mean, if I, if I was going to be a client, bring a client, it would be kind of a cold call situation. And, and that just wasn't in my background at the time. I didn't have enough connections. So I just thought about it and said, well, I could, I could keep trying. And I tried really hard for a while Or I could pick another valuable career in accounting that used my resources in a different way. And I got real excited about the ability to work for a corporation. Now, the the good thing about that is what I decided was I did like auditing, but I realized for me, one of the challenges was that in auditing, a lot of things are done kind of after the fact. The books are closed, the decisions are made, there are measures against the strategy and the accounting execution. 
And I wanted to really kind of look to see what would it be like to be inside of an organization, effectuating those strategies, becoming very actionable, and then delivering the results to be measured by external parties. And so it was, I kind of thought about it and I thought, you know, there's a good role for me out there. And that's when I decided to to move into the Act 3 Theaters role. And I'm, I'm glad I did. I think it was perfect. Accounting and accounting firms are still so critical and important, and I'm passionate about them. When they come in, I thoroughly appreciate everything they do and their independence and think it's, it's an even, even better career now. But at the time, over 30 years ago, I or about 30 years ago, I took a different turn. But that's the beauty of, of our field. There's just so many different types of roles and companies that an accountant can be very, very helpful in. Definitely. The other thing you mentioned, I I found this interesting. You said, you know, a couple of times I've taken a step back and obviously there are people that would feel like, oh, you know, you never want to take a step back. That would damage your career. Well, (laughs) what are your thoughts on when it's appropriate that, or when it's okay, you know, to take that step back or, or if it is risky, well, you know, when you do it, what's important for you to, to do to make sure your career continues to move forward? Well, yeah, I do re- acknowledge and understand that, you know, people feel like success is all about making progress and kind of never looking back. But I, a, a couple of things, I, I've always evaluated my opportunities kind of holistically. And so it hasn't, hasn't always been about the title. It's been about the ability to make a difference. And long ago, I kind of gave up thinking about managing, managing to the title and really managing to the substance of, of the role. And then realizing that sometimes it's timing. Like when I left Act 3 Theaters, what happened there that normally decided to sell that part of the business and there was a leverage buyout. And it just so happened that the corporate operations moved to the West Coast of Portland, Oregon. And I took a step back, so to speak, because I, at the time, I really didn't want to go to Portland, Oregon. And I think you, you've you got to balance it out and figure out what's the best overall opportunity for you to have a balanced life. And I think some of the times when I stepped back, it was more about balance and being in the um, community that I wanted to be in. I, at the time, I was able to, in doing that, I was able to stay here. And my parents were still alive. My husband's parents are still alive to this day. And and the benefit that I've given my family in terms of having, you know, grandparents and things like that are are unquestionably extremely important in my in my life and and in my family's life. So, you know, you gotta for me, this is I mean, this is my recommendation to others, just take everything into consideration. And taking taking a step back isn't a reflection of you've made a turn for your entire life. There there are opportunities everywhere. So every time I've done it, I've been able to kind of aggregate that opportunity into other opportunities. And there's not just one, there's many. So I'm a living testament of that. Wonderful. Yeah, you you said this well, and and I guess I've had this thought, but I've never, just the way you phrased it, you manage to the substance of the role, not just to the title. And that that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of wisdom in that. It's not all about the title. It's, it's about what the role really encompasses. That's exactly right. So if I felt like it, I could add value, but it might have been called a director's role and not a VP role, but I could add substance, then that was the important thing. And being able to get in the door, get at the table, start to get people to trust you because, you know, they see the way that you think and you're committed. 
that's what really begets you, not what your previous title was. It, get, it begets you more opportunity. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. I, I mentioned this before because I know people, well, some individuals struggle to make this move or job. The transition from con- a controller type role to a CFO role. I mean, ha- how would you characterize the differences or you know, are there some skill sets you found yourself needing to sharpen up or, or get up to speed on? So I did. Interestingly, some of it has to do with, you know, I added on some some additional education. I went back and got my MBA in finance and accounting. But even before that, I started asking for projects where I could build my budgeting expertise. Budgeting is huge in the, to me in the, in the finance role. And then when budgeting turns from that into financial forecasting and planning, when you're starting to take every element of the financials that you know and being able to build the skill to forecast 5, 10, 15 And at CPS Energy Utility, we commonly forecast 25 years out. So the more that I got into that forecasting piece, that was helpful to make that transition. More elements of treasury are extremely helpful. That could be in cash management. It could be in debt management. It could be in investments, your exposure to the investment that you have. And so as as I had different chances to work on a project from my chair in accounting or transition and take on a developmental role where I could be interim doing something that was helpful. I'd have to be, to give you some real examples, when I was at Time Warner, I didn't have a lot of experience. I had been a controller for, I don't know, at the time, maybe four or five years. And it just so happened that my boss left again. And so I've had, I've actually had the boss leaving thing and interim opportunities three times. And and the first time I had it at Time Warner, I sat as the VP of finance and didn't have my, my MBA at the time, but I, I held that. And I actually held both roles. I held the, the controller role and the vice president role at the same time which was extremely difficult. And I did that for nine months. I got, you know, I got a bit more pay, maybe not, not a ton. I got a bit, bit more pay, but I got a ton of experience and I got exposure and I got other vice presidents starting to interact with me on a more strategic level. That OJT, anytime you could pick up OJT, even if it doesn't mean a huge financial benefit, those are things that help make that transitional move from just being in the accounting role, but now venturing in these finance areas. And I think a CFO has to wear both hats. You can be a chief and accounting officer and just get deeper in accounting. But to be a CFO, I think you've got to be in this other space and then expose yourself to strategy, enterprise projects, all of those things. So you can couple the applied experience you get with any additional educational or certifications you get. Okay. Wonderful. Well, that sort of leads into one of the other things I wanted to ask you, and, and, and I know from speaking with you previously that you're a very humble individual, so I know this, this may be difficult, but in the interest of helping the audience, are there other things that you can identify in your career that's sort of led to your ability to move up over the years? Uh, you mentioned saying yes, for instance, to, to opportunities <laughs> that they come up. Saying yes a lot. I mean, I think... That has been the most helpful thing. I mean, and even today when I talk to people and I talk to them about 
opportunity, I, I run into people who ask a lot of questions about, can I get more certainty? So what specifically will I be doing? Can you tell me what my full scope of work is? Can you give me a full description of everything that I need to do? And, and every textbook will say, do that. Ask up front. Get as much clarity. Make sure that you know your scope is specifically designed. And that in a utopian world, and if you can get it, grab it and take it. But here's kind of what I learned also in addition to saying yes. Getting a broad framework of what you're supposed to do is oftentimes somewhat better than getting a full specific idea of what you have to do with 100 boundaries around them. I needed enough for the opportunity and I needed to understand the mentality of my boss and how they expected work in general. But other than that, I wanted, I wanted less structure because I wanted the freedom to be creative in my own role, to bring, to bring me to a role and figure out the things that would make me feel that I was really driving value in a way that really, really helped me. And so in addition to, again, saying yes, being okay with some level of ambiguity, and I would say the more you move up. So when I moved from controller to CFO, there was a tremendous amount of ambiguity. And I would say that today, even as CEO, I live in a world of ambiguity. I don't have I don't have a job description, so to speak. I have all of the above. I don't have a set of processes and procedures, and I really have to respond to how the environment's hitting me for that day. So more and more dealing with ambiguity, not letting that restrict you, being very, very open to change in your environment, realizing that things have to change. Matter of fact, with the way technology is today, I don't think any role, especially an accounting role, or finance role can assume that there won't be constant change around you, changing organizational structures, changing rules and guidelines and regulations, changing expectations, all of those things happen. So the more you can keep accepting those realities and using them to your advantage to be creative and bring the integrity to the role that that you bring, but you're always focused on driving the organization to a better place, that stuff is real. And that I think is what helps someone continue to grow professionally. That is a good point. Yes. Many people want to know exactly what the job description is and it's impossible because things change daily. <laughs> all, the, all the time, especially around here, but everywhere, I would say. Well, what else do you feel like it would be important for our audience, you know, specifically accountants to know about how your role as CEO differs from your previous executive management positions. What would you like us to know? (laughs) Well, I am. What's a day in the life of Paula like? (laughs) You know, it's funny. Yesterday, I, uh, long story short, I ended up with several hundred people in a room and I decided that I wanted to talk to a manager team. And so we have managers, executive vice presidents, we're all in a room. We were there to really kind of touch base and work on us. And, and I wanted to talk to them about the, how much I appreciate what they do. But I decided to start out with kind of a description for my, my day. And I started talking to them about, I moved from, I came in from Austin the night before I had talked to a small women's group about being an executive in the energy business and what, you know, kind of some of the same stories I'm answering for your listeners. But I came in that night early. I moved straight into a operational board meeting 
that went on for a couple of hours. And then I moved into a board search meeting. The board is looking for another replacement member that one of, one of our board members is terming out. I moved on from there and I had some calls to make with, with customers. I had to move to an innovation meeting. I have a, of a group of people that are working on a special innovation assignment. Then my a member of my office needed to go over multiple deadlines in the future and kind of we need to work on the, the schedule together. And I really actually got to the meeting and I felt like I, I was like, okay, I haven't had one minute to kind of think about, you know, my thoughts, but now I've got several hundred people in front of me and I better, I better get myself together. And so I actually started the meeting and told them about my day. But I also said, I know your days are just as busy. They may be, they may look a little bit different, but they're just full of interactions with people. They're full of meetings. They're full of working with your team members. And they are, they're all for the purpose of serving customers. So, so why are we here? Why are we not at our desk doing work? And there's probably some extra anxiety. You know, why would the CEO pull me out of my office to get together? And I said, the theme of our discussion today is stop, pause, and inventory. And we just had a really good session where we talked about sometimes instead of just focusing on the very next thing, sometimes most of that is dealt with being reactionary or fixing something or addressing some issue. Sometimes you got to stop for a minute and appreciate what you've got, your life, your job, and your profession. Think about the successes that have come to you and that they're really coming to you, but sometimes they're too fast and you're not taking a moment to celebrate them. So inventory those things. And it's okay to feel good about what you do. It's, and, and it's important for you to feel valued and, and an important member of the team. And particularly as management, their homework was to make sure that they went back and talked to their teams and just were conscious in the moment to tell them how much they appreciate their team members, the people that work for them, the people that rely on them. And those are the kinds of things that we have to do to feed the feed the soul and feed feed the career passions and really kind of continue to set the right culture for our organization. We had dialogues. I had every one of my direct reports get up and, and praise their teams. We videotaped it and asked people to talk about what did they learn. And in reality, you know, what what we ended up doing is talking about some of the great things that have happened. Everything from how well we have been able to serve the company in terms of reliability storm relief. We not only have managed through the threat of Hurricane Harvey here, but we've also sent teams of people to Victoria and further in the coast. And now we've just sent out a team yesterday to Jacksonville, Florida, because they need help in restoring power. And so to, to, to really realize that we do, we do a lot of things technically correct, but we're also doing the right things in our people first philosophy for customers and non-customers and community and and the great nation that we work in, that that takes a moment for us to to all realize that it that you know it takes everyone of everyone in the company to support those types of efforts. So that's kind of how my day is different. My day is more about others than it is about the individual work that I produce. And I tell executives all the time, don't get lost that you are producing. Matter of fact, at least about half of your time should be spent developing others. It should be spent making sure that as you're working through your daily activities, but you're actually making sure that others 
are getting a good experience and they're watching you execute and they're getting an opportunity to then learn from you. And that makes them more and more ready for their next opportunities. So my my role now is much less about, you know, closing. It's, it's completely not about closing the books or doing a new budget projection or whatever, but it's really about optimizing every every person and making sure that they're safe, they're working safe, they're growing, they feel valued. And so it's a much more intangible opportunity as a CEO than the activities that I had to do as a CFO. I appreciate my CFO. It takes every every person doing their job financially to, to make sure it's tight, but I, I just need to support him. I need to I need to challenge him or challenge my chief customer engagement officer or see what she's doing around customer and work on it in more of a perspective of supporting supporting an overall culture and execution that, that's great for everyone. Now, there are so many good points in there. One of the items that really speaks to me, because it, it happens in accounting so much as you move up, you go from meeting to meeting to meeting <laughs> and taking time to be present where you are, because it's so easy to get to where you're just checking off the box. Okay, I attended that. I attended that. And you're right. You need to be present with the people that, that you're present with. <laughs> at that yeah. Point. And I, you know, even my controller, I would say that, though, I expect her to do the same thing. It's done to a different degree. She can focus on her accounting team, but every day that she gets better, that influence that she has, that that ability to help others who are not even in the accounting department and really make sure that they're developing too, and just trying to find that cross-pollinization, I expect to see that more and more as every team member is growing. That's what gets you ready for that next level. And that's something that we really, really center on here at CPS Energy. Well, these interviews always <laughs> seem to go so fast. It seems <laughs> like we just get started, and, and we're, we're about 35 minutes into it at this point. So oh I have one more question, and okay. I better get down to the final three questions I end every podcast with. So what, one of our audience members suggested that I add this. He was a recent graduate, new professional. He asked, if you could go back and give your younger self just one piece of advice, what do you think that might be? The biggest piece of advice is don't let your errors and mistakes paralyze you. You're going to make some errors and mistakes. You know, there's a lot of people who think that it's all about excellence. And if you make one mistake, you've ruined your career and you, you can't start over. Matter of fact, your errors and mistakes are the ones that if you really, really commit to them, you'll never make them again. So your your boss has just made a tremendous investment in you. As long as you have a great attitude and, and talk about what you've learned, make sure you learned it, help make other people not make that same mistake. I think you are smarter, brighter, more valuable. And so ultimately learning that some of my mistakes were my best opportunity to grow and realizing that that anxiety that I used to have about making a mistake was much more of a constraint. Nobody wants to make them. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying when you do, get the most out of the learning experience from it, make yourself better from it, and relieve the stress from it. So don't let it paralyze you. And that's, if I, if I had told myself that back a long time ago, I think I would have saved myself a whole lot of stress and I would have moved through the issue much faster and really kind of had more peace of mind more than I did. 
That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, recover quick, faster, and, and move on. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I end every podcast with the same three questions. So let okay. me go ahead to get to those. And the first one's usually the easiest. What's been your proudest moment? That's a great question, but I have to say this. I tell managers all the time that are trying to make it and make it through the difficulties of being in management, period, really realize that there are a lot of things that are good are happening all the time and what you're really looking for are these nuggets. It's kind of like a video game where you feel like you're being worn down and you're losing your life force and you run into one problem or another. But what you need are these little nuggets of just validation and and support. And some of the best ones I've had in my career is helping others do better. And so when I see someone that I've helped and helped mentor and coach, and they have a great project and people start taking notice of their successes, and I realize it's not about me, but it's about the effort that I had to help make them successful. And then, and then they might even come back and say, thank you. I really appreciate the coaching you gave me. I can see how it was helpful. That's the kind of stuff that that ultimately have made me proud and kind of been my my source of continued ability to refresh my enthusiasm every day and and stay positive about things and be able to keep that energy level up. And so I am actually proud a lot. Every day people tell me some things that just give me that, but it's more been about when they're when an individual is successful and they do it right and the team gets successful, then the company is going to win. And so that's kind of how I do it. That does make life a little better if you, if you find a little something every day. <laughs> a little something every day. It works. Well, you hit on this earlier, so I definitely want to include this question. Tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it. And, and frankly, the bigger, the better. We like the big ones. Well, I got some big ones. <laughs> One of my biggest ones is actually kind of a joke in the organization. Everybody's like, oh, my God, she's going to talk about her mistake again. I, so here, here's one. This was a Gatsby and a regulatory one, which I actually, over time, have considered that my strength. But we are kind of an enterprise organization. We're kind of a blend. We're not purely for profit, and we're not a fund accounting entity. And so Gatsby's for a while, were they were slower to, to come out, but they come out more and more every day. But we, we didn't have a great process relative to one of the particular Gatsby's, which was the one that changed the accounting requirement relative to pension plans, which moved, you couldn't do a cash basis program anymore. You had to accrue and accrue your liabilities fully. My mistake was I you know, couldn't, I didn't figure out how to have input on that. I, I, didn't, I didn't have enough around my process. And then when the new regulation came out, I asked my team to assess it, but I didn't, I didn't double check. We didn't have a, a discussion about the implications. And so I got the wrong interpretation. I didn't challenge. I didn't dig in. I got the wrong interpretation. And we missed the requirement to move to, to the accrual until we got to the very end, closed the books. We went through it and we had to book about a $20 million. I say 20, it was about 18, but I rounded up to 20 because 20 sounds more impressive. Impressive enough when you're the CFO trying to tell your your boss and, and board that we have a $20 million mistake at the end of the year that we didn't catch. The mistake wasn't that we, of the accounting impact, the mistake was we should have been more on top of it. We should have had better processes. We should have challenged ourselves. And for that, I just kicked myself over and over again. 
And we got through it. The company had you know, made money that year, but unnecessarily, we surprised the organization. And there we are, the organization that's supposed to, to be on top of in front of everything and on controls and all those things. And I failed. I failed to, to think that through. And, you know, my boss's comment to me was, what are you going to do about it? And when I talked about trying and all the stuff we were going to do, he goes, nice, but, but not really relevant. You really got to think about it and, and figure out what you're really going to do to fix it in the future and own it. And he goes, Paula, your head just got knocked off its shoulders and it's rolling down the hallway. You better go pick it up and get back to work. <laughs> and I can laugh about that. At the time, it didn't feel great. And I just worked myself back through it. I, I went back and I analyzed when did we miss it? How did we miss it? Why didn't we have good processes? And we kind of all came together as a team to solve the problem. Now, I got a great team. They are assessing new regulations when they're exposure drafts, when there's a comment about the direction that the GASB could be going. We even know to look at FASBs as an indication of changes to, to GASBs. And we actually comment. We, con- we contact the GASB organization to provide comment. So the, the point was, I also learned in my mistake don't be reactive. Don't wait. Don't let things happen. Be on top of them. Be proactive. Get in front of them. Every time I've done that, every time I've kind of assessed the risk, I've been successful every time. But the mistake is the thing that taught me the most. Don't take things for granted. Don't not follow up. Think about it proactively. Get in front of it. And it was the best thing that I've ever done. And it has served me well since learning that very hard lesson. That is a good lesson. That is a good lesson. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and say goodbye. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Oh, wow. I think from my boss, kind of related to my experience with the Gatsby, I think his, and this is Doyle Benneby, and he was CEO at the time. And he goes, you got to remember President Reagan's quote, trust but verify. And he goes, even when your people are doing well, you, so you learn that you should have you should have jumped in, and oftentimes when you're when you're moving up the ladder, you think it's not about you jumping anymore. You you know you're trusting your folks, and so your role doesn't encompass that. And in reality, you trust but verify to do a lot of things. One to tell people you care enough to ask, to keep them sharp. If they can explain it to you and they've done a thorough job, they're even better. But your ability to know when to go in and look at things that you wouldn't normally look at. You got to build some time in for that. And even as CEO, people come in all the time and I may, I may delve in about seven layers deep just to make sure that I can tell that the right amount of work ethic and effort and due diligence has happened and the company is covered and our Achilles heels are, are not exposed. And it's because we're doing a diligent job of challenging our, ourselves naturally. And so in accepting that challenge, not as a threat, not as a turf thing, we are eliminating that kind of discussion throughout our organization because challenge is good. Challenge makes you better. Challenge assures that when you get challenged by others, you're going to be on point and you're going to survive scrutiny. And you do that, you couple that with ethics that, that are strong in our, our field and industry, you're running things correctly. So that was his advice. And it, and it came from uh, President Reagan and I, and I use it all the time. That is a great point because as, as we move up in management, 
so often you hear you want to be careful not to micromanage, but it, yeah. it's, it's easy to go the opposite way too far as well. Yes, it is. So, <laughs> that really is. Really well, Mark, thank you so much. Those were great. Those are all great questions. And I hope your listeners take some time and can, can take a moment and share the experience that you, you let me have with you. Yes, thank you so much. I know your time is valuable, and I know this can be beneficial to our audience. So I really appreciate you spending the time. Have a great week. All right. Thank you. Well, like I mentioned in the intro, Paula really had some gems for us in both the areas of growing your career along the way and in the area of management advice for those looking to further their career leading others. I really appreciated what she was saying about saying yes to opportunities and also the discussion of how there's usually some ambiguity around new opportunities. It's so true. It's really impossible to know every single thing that will be involved with a new career opportunity. Sometimes you just have to say yes and step out on faith. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. This has been another episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. If you'd like to subscribe by email and are not at a place where you can type, simply text the word accounting to 44144 and we'll get you signed up. Once again, the number is 44144 and the word to text is accounting. I hope you have a wonderful week. I'm Mark Goldman, your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accounts Go podcast, and we'll be back soon. There's more to come.